We finished our little jaunt into Haggai, and there's also a second prophet, Zechariah, also ministered at the same time. His ministry seemed to be longer, and if we were to take a, a, a spin into the book of Zechariah, since this is really where it fits, we would be there for a long time, and then we might forget what's going on here in Ezra. So... What we're going to do is we're going to finish off Ezra and I'm going to look it over and, and see if we should uh, include Zechariah in before we go on to Nehemiah and finish this, this section of the history books and the things that the prophets did to spur this thing on. We'll, we'll debate about that. But here we're going to get into chapter 5 and chapter 6 tonight. We're going to take a look at both. And we're going to see what do we expect should happen when a prophet has given a message from the Lord that not only tells you what the will of God is, but also what he wants you to do. If you got a message from a prophet, if you got a message from somebody who came down and hand-delivered it to you, an angel showed up and gave you a message, this is God's will, this is what I want you to do, what are your expectations? Do you think that what you what is in front of you to do is easier now or harder? I think most Christians would expect to answer this that the the task we would answer that the task would be harder but most people expect it to actually be easier they expect that because God has sent his prophet that certain things ought to be opened up but we're going to take a look at things in the word of God it doesn't quite work out that way it seems that when a word from a prophet comes things can get stirred up so that it actually gets tougher than it was before and so the word from Haggai has come that has stirred the people after 14 to 16 years of not doing anything on the temple. They're going to get started. And they respond really quickly and come into obedience as we spend some time taking a look at that. But we're going to compare this. How have you responded in the past when somehow a word of God came to you and told you something to do, told you, came up in your spirit? might just be a spiritual leading, might be uh, something more, more spectacular. But let's take a look at this. Let's read over here in Ezra. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jazadak, rose up and began to build the house of God which is in Jerusalem and the prophets of God were with them helping them. Now there the word prophets is plural. At the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the region beyond the river and Shelter, Baznai, and their, <clears throat> and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them. Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? So let's just stop here for a minute and take a look at Tatanai. He was a man appointed by the king of Persia to govern the province in this area that included Judah. He was not governor over Judea. He was governor over the providence that included Judea. So there are other territories, other countries around there that were under him. This was not the only one. So he came from wherever he was, wherever his headquarters was, to Jerusalem because his headquarters are not in Jerusalem. It's in one of the other countries around there. His name and office are mentioned in a Babylonian record that is dated 502 B.C. So we do know he was a real person outside of the Bible. 
he and the companions that came with him, they wanted to know why the work on the building, both the temple and the wall, had resumed. So word came to him. We don't know how word came to him. We don't know if people from Samaria who were uh, objecting to this before sent word to them because uh, they had started this up again and they were uh, they had been the people that had stopped it 14, 15, 16 years ago. We don't know how word got to him, but somehow word got to him. And the guy, this guy impresses me. For a non-believer, he is very impressive. He does not take the word that comes to him. He comes to Jerusalem to see what's going on and to talk to the people that are involved. That is neat. There's a whole lot of people that don't do that anymore. They don't verify things. They just say, well, this one's doing it. All right, well, we'll just do this. Uh, No, the Bible says make sure you always get both sides of things. I've always made it a practice that if I can only get one side of an argument, that I refrain from developing any opinion on it at all. In fact, I generally try and make it so that if I hear anything on it, it goes right out. I don't meditate on it. I don't think on it. I don't do anything about it at all. I don't care. Even if I can get both, unless I can get the full story and unless I know that the people involved actually want to hear my opinion or what I think ought to be done, I really don't mess with it at all. I I just don't have the interest to get that meddling in people's affairs. Let people do what they want to do. If they want to involve me, great. I'll, I'll help out all that I can. But I, I really don't care to, uh, to know people's business unless they, they want to make me aware of it. Uh, I'm just not interested in it that way. Some people are more after that. Uh, but anyway, the word of God came. And when God gives a word to advance or move, it is often tested. So I wrote down, I, you don't have, I don't have them in yours. I wrote down some things in mine. And we're going to come back to this list. But here's some, some things from, from my, um, when God gives a word to advance, as he did into people in the Bible, it's, there's a test that comes. With Abraham, Abraham had a word from God and it got tested. He had a word from God to go to a foreign land and it got tested. When he got to the foreign land, there was famine in the land and it got tested. He went on down to Egypt. Moses was sent to Pharaoh. And it got tested. He had a fiery burning bush experience. And it got tested. And he was discouraged. And he was ready to pack up and go home after the first failure. Israel had a word from God to go to the promised land. And had ten incredible incredible miracles to get them out of the land of Egypt. And on the way to the promised land, it got tested. Joshua was sent to take over the land. And that word to him got tested. Gideon was sent to deliver from the Midianites and that word got tested. Saul had a word to be king and that word got tested. David was given a word to be king and that word got tested. The disciples had a word to follow Jesus and how many times do you think that was tested? In fact, one time he even turned to them and said, are you going to leave too? And they said, where are we going to go? It got tested. Paul had a word from God. A light from heaven shone down. And it got tested. It got tested over and over again. In fact, sometimes he despaired of life. It was tested so much. Just because you get a word from God doesn't mean it will not be tested. I'll remind you of the words that Brother Hagen taught us when we were in school. He said, the stronger the word that God gives you, the stronger the test. 
that is coming. He would always rejoice when all that he would get is a small, still voice in his spirit because he knew the test wasn't going to be all that big a deal. <laughs> but when he had a vision or he had some kind of a thing that came supernaturally, oh, he knew the test was going to be big. Because no matter what, the word that comes from God will always have room to be doubted by the amount of the test that comes against you. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a faith walk. He taught us that in school. I've heard him mention it many times since then, and I've never forgotten it. So this word from Haggai is going to be tested. Now, Tatane is more reasonable than most than the Samaritans were. The Samaritans, there was no reasoning with them at all. They wanted the work stopped. They wanted things to cease. And they were going to go about any way that they possibly could, even to the point of being dishonest about what was happening. So he shows up personally. He didn't just send, he didn't just send threats or send a delegation. And he asks reasonable questions. These are not unreasonable questions. He was given authority in the region. He does have the right to ask what's going on. He doesn't know what's going on. So he comes to them to ask what's going on. And when you see the letter that he writes, you understand a little bit more why he was asking what was going on. Now, it's, it is puzzling why notice wasn't sent to him from the king of Persia. If the king of Persia know that he has someone governing that province and he sent a directive and a whole mess of people over there, you would think that he would have sent word to the guy governing the, the uh, region. It seems that either it was not sent or it didn't make it. Now, they don't have electronic stuff. They can't just send and verify that it was sent. You know, you got a messenger. He goes. Uh, maybe something kills him on the way. <laughs> maybe something stops him. We don't know what would have happened. Maybe that message was sent to him and it didn't reach him. Whatever it was, he doesn't know. And so he comes to find out directly. I put this in your outline because I want you to understand this. This is so important to understand. Sometimes opposition isn't always satanically inspired. There is natural opposition too. It's not all Satan. It's not all from Satan. You can be opposed by things that have nothing to do with the forces of darkness. Verse 4, Then accordingly we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews so that they could not make them cease till the report could go to Darius. Then a written answer was returned concerning this matter. The eye of their God was upon them. We're going to spend some time to find out what does that mean. But they, they came and they said, we told them the names because they, they, uh, they wanted to know this. Here's the questions that they ask. Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? Who's, who's done this? Have you done this on your own authority? And so when they come, they told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. These are the people that are doing it. They're on the up and up. If you are operating in the light, then you don't put things in the darkness. They put it right out there. These are the ones that are doing the work. In fact, we'll find out later on. They will tell them this is how we were authorized. This is what was going on. And so they, they were not just operating on their own. And this is a very reasonable man. He's not, he's not born again. He's not uh, serving Jehovah. But he's a very reasonable 
person. Don't be surprised to learn that there's a lot of people in the world that are not saved, but are very reasonable. In fact, I have met some people in the world that are more reasonable than people in the church. That's a shame that it's that way. But that is one of those things that goes on. Now, those in the light don't need to hide what's going on. It's only those people that work in darkness that do. That's just possibly that because of their honesty, because they were up front, this is what we're doing, this is who authorized it, this is who's doing the work, perhaps he saw their honesty, that they weren't trying to conceal anything, they weren't trying to hide anything, and he is a very reasonable man, but he saw their behavior, and he decided, we're not going to shut this down now, I'm going to send word to the king to see if this is so. There are some things buried in his letter that I want you to see here tonight. If you will find out how reasonable of a person this heathen ruler is. But it all started out with, first off, the people of God acting right. There is nothing worse when the people of God act wrong. When the people of God act up, and I've seen it. I have seen people of God. They act up. They act nasty. They are mean. They're not kind. And they say, we're being oppressed by Satan. No, you're being oppressed because of your stupidity because of your rudeness, because you are acting against the word of God. That's why people are coming against you. But you can't tell them that. I mean, you could tell them. I would tell them that right off the bat, but they don't always want to hear it. I have told that directly to some people. The reason you have trouble is because you're obnoxious. I have told people that to their face. They didn't like me a whole lot before that. They didn't like me a whole lot after it. It didn't matter to me. You're causing trouble. You, you need to know. You get to a point with, with some folks that trying to, to help them is uh, without calling to, uh, to mind what it is that they're doing just isn't doing any good. But anyway, here's, here it goes. Don't miss this in this verse. Take a look at this. This is a copy of the letter that Tatenai sent the governor of the region beyond the river and Shether, Basnai and his companions, the Persians who were in the region beyond the river to Darius the king. This is, a, this is what? This is a copy. How does Ezra get a copy of the letter sent to the king? It's real simple. The man who wrote it gave it to him. That is how above board this guy is. This is not the only thing that I see. There's a whole lot in here that will show you that this guy who is governor of the region is so above board and so upfront and so reasonable throughout this entire process. But what helped is the Israelites were reasonable as well. And everybody stayed reasonable and things worked pretty well. But he not only sent a letter, he said, I'm going to send a letter to the king to find out what's going on. Here's the letter I'm sending. And he gave him a copy of it. And so Ezra had a copy of the letter and he included it right here in the, in the historical record for us to read. Let's take a look at this. They sent a letter to him in which was written thus, To Darius the king, all peace, let it be known to the king that we went into the province of Judea to the temple of the great God which is being built with heavy stones. Right there, that is a phrase that should catch your eye. This is why he was concerned. Because the building is being built with heavy stones. They say it's a temple, but could it be a fortress? So he makes note of the heavy stones in the letter to the king. I want you to know there, 
They got these big, heavy stones that they're built. Well, that's the stones they used to build the temple originally. They had these big, heavy stones and they put them in. They're just reusing the stones that were there. This is what they've got. But he included this in the letter. So this is his concern. He is concerned for, he is not concerned about God. He is not concerned about the Israelites. He is not concerned about their building project. He is concerned with conducting business for the king in the province where he is because that is his job. He should do his job. And no, and Christians should not get in the way of that. And these folks are not trying to get in the way of him doing his job. They're trying to be up front with him. This is what's going on. But in his letter, he puts this in. And he's not trying to hide it because he gives the copy to Ezra or the people that pass it on to Ezra anyway. He gives it, this is, this is what I'm writing. Well, they're using heavy stones. There's no doubt about it. Keep that in mind. That's going to come up again. Which is being built with heavy stones and timber is being laid in the walls. Now, the reason that they have the heavy stones and the timber, this is being made mention, this is apparently a building tactic that they use in these days. What it helped with was some of the earthquakes in the region. It seemed like if they put the wood in between, it was actually three layers of stone and then the layer of wood that I guess it would help with some of the vibration that would come out. And it just seemed to help make the building survive the earthquake better because they did have earthquakes in that, in that region. So timber is being laid in the walls and this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. He's saying it's, they're doing all right. They are getting this thing done. Then we asked those elders and spoke thus to them, who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We also asked them their names to inform you that we might write the names of the men who were chief among them. And thus they returned us an answer saying, we are the servants of God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago with a great king of Israel built and completed. But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. <clears throat> He's writing down what the people have told him. The people have told them this was built by a great king. They mean Solomon. We were disobedient to our God and our God brought that wrath down upon us. It was our fault. However, the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to build this house of God. Also, the gold and the silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem and carried into the temple of Babylon, those King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon and they gave and they were given to one named Shazbazar, whom he made governor. And he said to them, take these articles, go carry them to the temple site that is in Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt on its former site. So they cited all this. They told all this to, to the governor and he wrote all this stuff down in the letter. I often wonder, I don't know if this was true. I wonder if he wrote the letter and gave it to him and says, does this sound about right? Because it is so accurate as to what went on. I think he wanted to make sure he got it right. He may have even showed them a letter. Did I get it all right? And if they had any corrections, all right, we'll, we'll make that correction. Is it right? Yeah, that's about how it is. And then he sent that letter. He's not trying to do anything in the dark. He puts it all out there in the open. I love that about it. He is not a God-fearing person, but he still doesn't operate in the darkness. Isn't it interesting that you cannot be a God-fearing person and still not operate in darkness? You can still be out in the light. You're still... You're not operating in the truth, but you're operating in the light in that I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm not trying to conceal anything. Whatever I'm doing is above board. 
and you have nothing to, to hide about it. And this is what he's doing. He's not doing anything for the kingdom of God, but he's not trying to do anything underhanded. Boy, it'd be nice to have some more people in office that do stuff like that, huh? That everything is above board, everything is out in the light. So it seems like to me that he presents all the details of the case without any prejudice at all. Boy, how hard is that to find? Seems like everybody's got their, their little bit of prejudice that they do. Now this uh, Shezbazar, that's to me, looking at this, I saw a couple of explanations for this. Most of them I threw out, so there's no way that that's the case. More than likely, this is the Babylonian name for Zerubbabel because we have the new name, Sheshbazar, and we have the position that, that uh, Zerubbabel has, which is the governor of the region. So more than likely, they are putting down the Babylonian name instead of his Israel name, instead of his uh, Jewish name. We're doing the, the um, Babylonian name because what records... Are we needing to search Babylonian records? Do you think that in Babylonian records they are going to have his Israel name? Or do you think it is going to have the, um, uh, the Chaldean name? Because this was written when Cyrus took over. He was in Babylon and he's just taking over the things from, from there. The, the other kingdom had just fallen. And Zerubbabel probably had a Babylonian name just like Daniel. You all know Daniel's Babylonian name? Belteshazzar? Sounds pretty similar to Shezbazar. So I, I really think that is a Babylonian name. We know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego more by their Babylonian names than we know by their Hebrew names. But it seems that everyone who came over and had a position of power, had a position of authority, was given a Babylonian name. Daniel just didn't go by his, in his, in his book at least. But probably in recorded records, he had his Babylonian name recorded there. So if you're going to look up the Babylonian records, the things that were done there, then this is his name. He may have even written down his other name too. Don't know about that. But that's probably why we see a different name. We're not looking at a different character coming in. He's trying to give this every ounce of ability to be verified. I don't want to try and give you the wrong name. This is the name that's probably there. They may have even said, if you go and look up the records, you're going to see my name by my Babylonian name. So you're going to have to use this name. He may have even known that's the name that was in the document. So it sure seems like Tetanai is trying to find out the truth, not just push an agenda. I put this in your outline for you. Not everyone who opposes you is of the devil. Demonically inspired or bent on lying and deceiving to stop you. These people came in to oppose Israel, but they were not of the devil. They were not demonically inspired, and they were not bent on lying and deceiving to stop them. They were simply trying to do their job. You know that sometimes people, in the course of doing their job, may come into a place where they are in opposition to you. I've run into this before in some churches I heard. They were trying to do some things in building. And they came into opposition because of township uh, rules and or city ordinances or whatever might be, be going on. And they viewed it as a satanic oppression, as a demonically inspired thing against them. And so they came against it in that way and they failed because they didn't just see people are just doing their job. 
These are the things that are on the record. Now, if you would work with them, you could probably find out that you could get some things done and you can get them on your side. And they would probably say, hey, <laughs> well, let's have, we, we would like something like this to go on here. Let's see what we can do about getting past these ordinances and get you doing what you, what you want to do because I think we want you to have, <clears throat> we want you to be here too. But if you're obstinate and trying to uh, fight them all the time, they're not going to want you around. So they're going to take the, whatever's on the, on the books and say, well, the book said you can't be here and do this. See ya. That's not what they're doing. They tried to be very cooperative with him. They understood he had a job to do. Sometimes people just don't know what you're doing. And if you, if you react irrationally, they will come to conclusions about you and what you are doing. Don't do it. Now, <clears throat> Tautenai does not know this degree has been issued. He was not informed of it. It was not sent. Maybe he was not in the position he's in at the time Cyrus wrote the decree. Whatever it is, he's not aware of it. This man has been upfront and honest so far. If he knew of it, I think he would, oh yeah, I remember that. He didn't know of it. But even unsaved people know how to be rational and not argumentative. And he is not irrational. He is not argumentative. If unsaved people know how to be rational and not argumentative, boy, we ought to be doing it too. Sometimes we can get so sold out. Well, I'm doing the work of God and anybody who opposes me is of the devil. Don't think that. Sometimes they just don't know as much as you do. Give them, give them room for that. Sometimes people get, even in the church, we get so battled with doctrinal things that we begin to beat on each other for those. And sometimes people just are not up to where you are, maybe they're ahead of you. You don't know. So just, uh, just always stay rational. Stay calm. Don't get argumentative. It's not going to help. You're never going to argue anybody into the kingdom or argue anybody into the light. You won't do it. You're going to love them in. Jesus didn't argue anybody into the kingdom. He did have some arguments with some people, but they were people who were opposed to the kingdom and they were demonically inspired. They were not trying to be rational. They were not trying to be helpful. They were not trying to seek God. Chapter 6, verse 1, Then King Darius issued a decree, and a search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon and at Akmetha in the palace that is in the province of Media, and the scroll was found, and it was, and in it a record was written. All right, now this is, uh, this is pretty amazing. Understand this is a long, long time ago. When did computers really take over our society? I mean, we had them in the 60s, but they took up big rooms. But they didn't really start taking over our society until probably the 80s. Or you, th you think the 80s? Okay. And um, that's not very long. So even we ourselves, if we wanted to do a search on things, we had to go through, go down the library, Go down, look it up, pull the volumes out and start reading. This is what they have to do. They have to go to the library. They got to pull out the scrolls and somebody has to sit there and read them and go through and find out what's there. Here's how thorough these people are being. And I think it stems from the fact that the people in Israel are being cooperative. They're being good natured and they're not trying to fight. 
They're being up front. This is what we have. So you have King Darius who gets a request from his, uh, his, uh, his, uh, providence. The guy leads the providence over there. And he says, can you make a check and see if this was so? If this had gone on? And so he issues a decree and they search out in the area of Babylon. Was this thing here? And it wasn't there. So they went on and went into Akmetha in the palace. And there they found it. Now, if Darius could have just searched out the capital in Babylon and said, it's not here, therefore it doesn't exist, and be done. And no one would argue with him. But he went the extra step. And he sent people to the palace in another area. Check it out. See if it's over there. And they did. And they found it there. Understand, how many people are, are in this search? They got to take the scrolls, roll them out. Here's this. No, that's not dealing with this. Here's No, that's not dealing with this. There's a whole lot of decrees that were made by kings. But we got to find this one. And they found it. But they found it not in the first place that they looked. They found it afterwards in the second place. So somebody had to sit there and read all these And they did. Now the hand of God can work in people for our benefit when we walk according to behavior fitting of God's instructions. God gives instructions to how we are to behave with people. If you violate those instructions, people will not work on your benefit. They will not work on your behalf. And you can pray till the cows come home. But God cannot make people do what they don't want to do. And if you've already made people not want to help you, that's not going to go anywhere. We talked to you before about this, just calling customer service people. How easy is it to get in in a temper thing because they're not helping you out as much as you think? I'll tell you what, just be nice to them. Just be kind. I always make sure if I call a customer service people, you know, they come on and they tell you their name. I try to remember their name. I want to address them with their name. Sometimes it's the name and I... Oh, dear Lord, I don't know what that name is. <laughs> I, I may sometimes, what is that name again? I've never heard that name before. And they'll, they'll take, spend the time and tell me. And I may take, a, you know, 15 seconds and get educated on that name so that I'm saying it right. Because uh, I want to be able to address them by their name, not just ma'am or sir. And uh, we go on from, from there. But treat them like people. They got a job to do. They're not there. For your benefit. Customer service people are not there for your benefit. They're there for the benefit of the company that hired them. And they need to do the benefit of the company that hired them, not yours. But part of the benefit of the company that hired them is to make you as a customer happy. So make them want to make you happy. And it will go much better for everybody. Excuse me. Both people will get off the phone and feel better about things. But our bad behavior can shut things down. You all know if you dealt with people in that area, bad behavior, you can shut... There's a whole lot more you can do. I still remember that story that Brother Keith Moore told when uh, he was caught up in an airplane or airport before he had his pilot's license and he had his own own, uh, thing. Bad weather hit and the uh, flights were being canceled. And there's a long line trying to get rebooked on different things. And there was a guy in front of them, and he just was carrying on. He just was being nasty to the person that was there. 
and uh, eventually came, and we can't help you, and so he had to go sit down, and so they came up, and so they just uh, decided to, you know, just approach it the way they always did. Hey, I'm sorry, I know this is not your fault, and you are really having your hands full. We are supposed to be over here for a conference. We're supposed to speak at this, this thing. Is there anything you can do? Well, let me take a look. And she started tapping on her keyboard and started looking at the things. And, uh, and she said, yeah, I got something right over here. I can, I can book you over here and we can do this. And then she said to him, I could have done this for the guy before you. <laughs> and they always remembered that. I always remember him telling that story. Because uh, let people want to help you. Don't make them mad at you. And this is what they do. This is one of the greatest lessons you can learn inside these chapters is they didn't make the people that were in power desiring to shut them down. They stayed upfront. They stayed workable. They kept their attitudes right. They weren't disrespectful in their words. They presented all the information, all the details. Verse 3. In the first year of King Cyrus, King of King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the, pal- the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundations of it be firmly laid, its height 60 cubits, and its width 60 cubits, with three rows of heavy stones and one row of new timber. That, of course, was the construction we told you about. Now, the heavy stones that sparked this whole, the whole thing about being curious, right there, it's in the original decree, with heavy stones. So they weren't doing anything underhanded. They weren't trying to build anything that wasn't expected. King Cyrus authorized it and put in there heavy stones. So you can sometimes just read over that heavy stones and not and wonder what's what's it meaning. That's what it was was meaning. Now there is some question about the size of the temple that is mentioned here. Because it mentions that it is sixty cubits and its width is sixty cubits when what they actually ended up with was a lot smaller. Why did he authorize a 60 by 60 and they didn't, I, I was trying to find the size and got uh, pulled off onto something else so I, I didn't get to find out the exact size of his. But it's smaller than 60 by 60. More than likely what is all, all is going on is Cyrus said you can build a building up to 60 by 60. There's nothing in the decree that says it has to be that big but since the decree is 60 by 60 he doesn't expect it to be bigger than 60 by 60. So he put a limit on it, it would seem more than a demand that this is the size that it would be. Let the expenses be paid from the king's treasury. Now this one is coming from the king's treasury. Cyrus was paying for this, but it got shut down, and so no more bills were sent. They didn't get it finished. Also let the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple, which is in Jerusalem, and brought to Babylon, be restored and taken back to the temple, which is in Jerusalem, each to its place, and deposit them in the house of God. Isn't it amazing that articles of the temple that are made of precious metal, gold, silver, survived intact for 70 years. 70 years they were stored, 70 years they were protected, 70 years they were still available. Now we know they got pulled out and used for the one party. Uh, last king of Babylon decided to use them for that. But they were still there, they were still preserved, and they were sent back for them to use. 
last verse six. Now, therefore, Tatenai, governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar, Baznai, and your companions, the Persians who are beyond the river, keep yourselves far from there. In other words, don't interfere with them. I understand what they're doing. It has been authorized by the king of Persia, Cyrus specifically. Everything they're doing is within the realm of what he told them to do. So they are right. This has been decreed. The king has spoken on this. And I am reinforcing what has been done. We are going to continue to do this. Let the work of this house of God alone, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God on its site. Moreover, I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of these Jews for the building of this house. So he is now authorizing, reauthorizing the, the decree that Cyrus made, but he is also making his own decree. Look what he has to say. Let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river. This is to be given immediately to these men so that they are not hindered. Now before, Cyrus was paying for it out of the king's treasury. There's a little different wording on here. What he is saying is, I'm still paying for it, but I'm using the money that you collect in taxes from the people in the region. Because one of his jobs was to collect the taxes from the people in the region, take all that money, send it on back to the king. That was one of the things that he had to do. So he says, out of that money that you have, I want you to pay their expenses. And so he goes on and enlists that. Let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river that is to be given immediately to these men so that they are not hindered. In other words, don't let money be an issue with this. Whatever they need, do it. Verse 9, And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, lambs for the burnt offerings for the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem. Let it be given them day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet aroma to the God of heaven. And, now look at this, pray for the life of the king and his sons. You remember I told you last week that Cyrus, it is, it is thought that he issued not only the rebuilding of this temple, but others, so the temples all over the world were praying for him. He does. He apparently must have read something about that in the writings of Cyrus. And he says, oh, Build that thing. I'm going to pay for it. If Cyrus wanted to have this God pray to for him, I want you to do the same thing for me. And so he writes it in the decree. Pray for the life of the king and his sons. So not only does King Darius um, yeah, uh, reauthorize the work, but he opens the treasuries to fund it. Now, I, I was thinking about this quite a bit today and thinking, all right, what we have done here is that we have taken what King Cyrus is going to finance out of his pocket. And Darius has said, all right, I'm still going to use what is technically my money, but I'm going to use it out of all the tax money that the people in the region paid for. So I'm trying to bring that home for you all. You all know that uh, they try this thing. I, I heard it's up in the Supreme Court they're listening to, you know, the uh, student loan forgiveness thing, that the president wants to just sign a piece of paper and forgive everybody's loan. Which financial things, if you know anything about our constitution and government, financial things start where? Always start in the same spot. It is written in the constitution. It starts in the house. Not in the senate. Not in the executive branch. 
and not in the judiciary branch. It always, financial things always start in the House. Certain kinds of bills, they, <clears throat> they are just, some start in the Senate, some start in the House. Anything financial starts in the House. That's the Constitution. So we know that the thing that he's passed is unconstitutional. More than likely, it's just sort of a, a deal that, well, we'll pass this, so it'll get struck down, and then people will say, oh, uh, you were all trying to help us out because, you know, people like to look at it, whatever it might be. We're not really looking at forgiveness of those loans. What we're looking at is everybody else gets to pay off your loan. We're going to take your loan and everybody else can pay it off. So I was thinking about with that. Are we doing the same thing here? Israel wants to build a temple so everybody in the region is going to pay for it and they don't want to. I thought, well, is that fair? But... So I meditated on this, I had a thought. Originally, who was going to pay for this? Cyrus. He said, I'm going to pay for it out of the king's treasury. That would be money he got from conquering, different things like that, whatever. He was going to pay for it out of the king's treasury. But that stopped. Anybody know how that stopped? You remember? People in the region. People in the region rose up and decided to give opposition to this so that the work was shut down until King Cyrus died. And then this king comes up. So the people in the region are now paying the bill because they stopped King Cyrus from paying the bill. I saw that and I said, ah, I'm more okay with that now. <laughs> I can see where that would be right. That uh, you, you all wanted to shut this down? Now you're going to pay for it to get restarted. Okay. I can see God in that. Verse 11. And I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected. Let him be hanged on it and let his house be made a refuse heap because of this. And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it or to destroy this house of God which is in Jerusalem. I Darius, issue a decree, let it be done diligently. So he says, if you come against this decree that I have uh, set up here, there's, a, there's going to be some consequences. Someone's paying on this one. So it's some very powerful wording and some very natural opposition, which he is uh, putting in here. Well, I'm sorry, some opposition that he's putting in for anybody who would oppose this. This is all in the natural. This is nothing spiritual about this. This is all in the natural. Now, according to Adam Clark, he says there is some debate to this punishment involved the flogging a man at his own house, hanging him to death at his own house, or impaling him at his house as an early form of crucifixion. I don't know. None of them sound good. I don't think I'd want any of them done. So there's the threat. There's the thing. If you do this, this is what we are going to do to you. In other words, there are consequences. If you want to oppose this, there are consequences. This is something that we're lacking in our society today. There's no consequences for opposing. If you decide that you want to have a lawsuit against the company because you decided that they were negligent, you know, McDonald's made the coffee too hot and didn't tell you that it was hot and you got burned on the hot coffee, then you can sue them and get whatever. I mean, that's been done. But if you sue them and lose, what consequence is there? Absolutely none. 
you walk away with exactly what you walked in there for. The lawyer says, I'll take on the case, and if I win anything, I take something out of the, the winnings. You don't have to pay me anything. What happens to McDonald's? Well, they have to pay the money for the lawyers to defend themselves. They take the public hit on whatever publicity comes out. So the only one who pays for it is the one that really didn't do anything wrong except give you a hot cup of coffee. That always bugged me. I never liked it. Of course, I always thought, if you got the coffee cold, you would have complained. There is little consequences for those who oppose the things of God in this country. Used to be. There's very little consequences for those who oppose our Constitution. There's very little consequences on many crimes, such as looting. People can go in and they just loot an entire store. They've done these riots where they go into the store and they take everything out. We've seen some places in some cities just pull up roots and say, I'm not gonna, we're not going to have business in there anymore. And they're not going to do it. A couple of Wawa's down in Philly closed up simply because people came in and just took whatever they wanted. There was no consequences. They did it because there hasn't been any consequences for people doing this. So we're just going to go out there and do it. There's been burning and destroying of property in riots because there's been no consequences. There's even sex crimes that are going on because there's been no consequences. What are the consequences of all those people that were on Epstein's list? I get irritated. I see the people that were on the planes and going to the islands, and but the list has never been... Um, in public, because there's no consequences for the people that would do that. A lot of people in public office, they can do all sorts of things. They can make themselves extremely rich, and there is no consequences for it. A lot of times, they just if they get caught, they resign their position, and they go off in their merry way. That isn't right. There's no consequences. If there's no consequences... Well, there's no, uh, no reason not to do it. That's what he's doing here. Darius is saying, if you go against this decree, there will be consequences. Adam and Eve thought there would be no consequences if they just took a bite. They were told there would be, but somehow they got in their heads, you know what, we can do this and there won't be any consequences. Saul thought that he could disobey the word of God and there wouldn't be any consequences that the prophet Samuel would be happy with him. Samuel wasn't happy with him. David found out that what he did in secret, there was consequences for it. If people think there's no consequences for something, there's no hindrance. There's no reason to, to stay out of it. If you really don't want something done, you have to have consequences, and there must be ones that have weight and are enforced. If people don't believe that they are enforced, then they don't care. If I don't believe that people are going to pull me over for speeding down the highway, then I'm going to go speeding down the highway. It's my belief that someone's going to pull me over and give me a fine, and I have to pay that fine. That's what keeps me from doing it, because otherwise... I mean, I'd have a ball going on down the, down the road at 9,500 miles an hour. He says in this note, let it be done diligently. Well, so far, Tatenai's character has shown us that he will do things diligently, and certainly he does. Well, let's get to the end here. How, how you live and treat people matters. There are 
consequences for it. They're not always advertised, but we've got to understand there are consequences for how you live and how you treat people. It can open or shut down what God can do on your behalf. How you treat people, whether they be born again or not born again, can open or shut down what God can do on your behalf. And it's not always immediate. Sometimes how you treat a person today affects how you are treated later. We saw that in the story, the man who owed a great debt and how he treated somebody later on had a great effect upon him then. I mean, he was called back. He was forgiven a great thing, but then because of how he treated people later, that was pulled back. People that are rude, they have an air about them that causes you to be drawn to them or away from them. If you have people that are rude, you, you just feel, I don't, I don't want to be near this person. But if you have people that are kind and nice, you may just meet them, but you can just get that sense. This person is kind. They are nice. And you're just drawn to them. You ever had that with people you just met and you're drawn to them? And other people you just met, I can't wait to get away from this one. Why? Because they're, they have that rudeness that's about them. They're just, they're just rude about stuff. And it just comes across. It's just, it's, it's part of their nature. It, it taints them. It makes them, it makes them bitter. You know, that's my gripe with celery. Whatever you put celery in, it makes it bitter. I don't like celery. If you put celery in it, I don't eat it. I'm not eating it. My wife knows if she's gonna, if she wants me to eat a thing, the celery needs to be out. I see the celery. I don't do it because it makes it bitter. It changes the taste. Now, some people like that taste that is there. I don't. She does not try and make me like it. She accepts me for the fact that I do not like celery, <laughs> that she does, even to the point that she will go and she'll make, all right, I'm going to make this one with celery and this one without. She made, I don't know, she was making something, chicken salad, egg, oh, egg salad. She was making an egg salad. And, you know, for me, there's basically eggs, mayonnaise, and some uh, sprinkling of some seasoning. That's it. That's it. She said, now, if I made it from my way, I'd have olives and I don't know what else she said. She, I think she said onions and other stuff. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> no. She made something. And, and she, she, what is that? The pimentos? Is that the, the little green things? What is it? Capers. That's it. Capers. I despise them. I have despised them since I worked at Kelson's and found out that's what they put in the tartar sauce. Oh, I don't like those things at all. And she made this thing up and she had the capers in there. Boy, did I eat around them. I, I saw them. I said, that looks like a caper. I asked her, what would you put in here beside the noodles? Oh, there's some caper. And so she saw me pick them all out. So she says, she doesn't get mad at me. She just scoops them all onto her plate. <laughs> she eats them all. And that's good. Oh, my. But you see, some of those things that you don't like, they'll leave a flavor behind. And you don't like it. And as soon as you taste it, oh, I don't like it. Rude people have a flavor about them. They can come in and be all smiles and be all nice, but that flavor is still there. If you are a rude person and you wonder why don't I get people to help me, it's because when you are, when they first meet you, they don't know what it is, but I don't know what's in there. But there's something in there. I, I don't like it. Don't like it. Don't be rude. Have an air. Let's always be kind. Just 
pretend that people are be, that are being rude to you, boy, they just had a bad day. And I'm just going to be kind to them. I'm not going to let their rudeness come over on me and make me rude. I'm not going to. I'm not going to operate this. This is not who I am. This is not an ingredient I want to put in my egg salad. Kind people, they have an air about them too. Boy, you meet those kind people, you just want to help them. You just want to do things for them. And that's what we, we need to do. Let me read some scriptures for you. I wrote them in your, put them in your outline. I'm just going to read them for you. Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That does not mean that everybody that you do this to will do it back to you. That's not what it said. It said, if you want men to do a certain thing to you, you do it to them. Everybody. Whether they are that way back to you or not. If you want people to be polite with you, be polite with them. Just be that way. If you want people to be reasonable with you, then be reasonable with them. Just stay in a reasonable way. If they are unreasonable, get as far as you can. And if you have to get to a spot where we say, well, we're just going to... We're going to just move on from the, just, just go in a different direction, whatever you can do. Don't get into the place where you behave like they are. It's not going to help. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Galatians 5.13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Too many Christians are looking for opportunities for their flesh to come out. And they're just nasty and they blame God for it. Well, that's just the prophet in me. Ever hear anybody say that? That is not the prophet in you. That's the flesh in you. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall all reap if we do not lose heart. Do not take the attitude, I am constantly kind. I'm always kind. I get these rude people to come my way. Do not look at that. You keep being kind. You be kind because it's in you. That's what you got. You be kind because this is who you are. I am just going to be who I am. Because in due season, it's all coming back to you. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Boy, if we just compare the words we speak to that verse each day. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Too many times we, we don't do that. People that are walking to a restaurant, people who deal with customer service people, and they are rude, they are esteeming the other people as less than themselves. Don't do it. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Colossians 3.12 Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. 1 Corinthians 13.4-7 Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We all know those verses Real, real well. Those are things we need to incorporate. They need to be part of us. Romans twelve ten. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. 
We give preference to ourselves more often, not to one another. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. James 1, 19 through 20, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Oh, if we only kept that one in mind and stopped getting mad all the time. Proverbs eleven seventeen: the merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. Proverbs 21, 21, he who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Whisperer being one who goes around gossiping and stuff like that. Look at Acts 28, 1 through 2. Look at this example of kindness. Now when they had escaped, this is talking about the folks on the boat after the shipwreck. They then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. These were people who did not serve God. They served idols. And it says, Luke writes, they showed us who just showed up on their island after a shipwreck. They showed us unusual kindness. We've got to make sure that we are not shown up by the people in the world in the kind of kindness that we demonstrate. Because if you are kind, you will get some things done. There was a situation that happened. Um, There's a a corner I run by. And it's one of the crossing sections on 202, on the bypass that they made there. And for the last couple of weeks, I hit the button, and it's the most dangerous crossing. It's the, the one that, of all the times I've been almost hit, that's the way that it has been. And the button hasn't worked. I'm one of those people. I'll push the button. I wait for the thing to say it's okay to go. And then I'll, I'll, I'll go because it's a very busy intersection. I don't like to be out there in the middle of that when cars are coming around the corner and they have to be evasive. No, I'm going to go when I'm supposed to go. And so um, I pushed the button. Well, I came up a couple of weeks ago, pushed the button, and it didn't work. And I would think about that. As, you know, Sometimes you might think, well, somebody's got to do something about that. And... Um, Eventually, I began to think, you know what? You need to, to get in touch with somebody. And I thought, yeah, I do. But I never would think about it, except when I'm out there in the corner in the morning, and I push the button, and it's not working. i got to tell somebody. i got to find out what to do. So after a couple of weeks, I finally dawned on me when I was by a computer. And so I looked up Montgomery County, figuring Montgomery County would be the place to go. So I looked up Montgomery County, because it's right in the border. On this side is Bucks County. On this side is Montgomery County. So I wrote Montgomery County. had a nice man there. His name, name was David. Took care of the Parks and Rec Department. So I wrote David. I said, David, here's the, here's the situation. Here's what's going on. Uh, hasn't been out for a couple of weeks, and I just keep forgetting to, to find somebody to send a note to. Just want to let you know it's not working. David sent me a note back within hours. And he said, I understand. Uh, we're not, we don't really take care of the, the 202 trail. Uh, that would probably be my first guess would be Montgomery Township. I would contact them first, and I think he gave me a secondary one if that didn't work. Wrote them back. Thanks, David. Appreciate that. Rode over to Montgomery Township. Montgomery Township didn't have it set up to where there's a different different group. They only had a general. So I sent in a general thing. He said, hey, here's what's going on. I gave him the location and um, told him which one it was. It's crossing from this section over into here. And within hours, somebody wrote me back. And they said, can you give us more detail on the uh, on the location? I'm, I'm thinking, gave you all the detail on the, on the 
location. I told you which corner it was, which way you're crossing. Be kind. Be nice. And somehow what I wrote wasn't clear enough for them. That's why I have to, to hear it. So what I did was I went up on Google Maps and I zoomed in on the corner and I took a picture of it off my phone and I took my little pen out of my phone and I drew an arrow and circle on which one it was and this is the way that you're crossing. Attach that picture to the email to find it a little bit better where it was and send it off to them. And uh, they wrote me back, thank you very much for the clarification. We really appreciate it. The next morning, I was coming on out and I was coming up to that, uh, finished up on the 202, coming up to that and says, you know what, just for kicks, I'm going to hit the button. And as I'm getting closer to it, the button looked different. And so I went up and pushed the button and made the noise and the red light came on. It was fixed. And before, when I got home, I got on my email because I wanted to write her. The, the, her number, her name was Deborah. I wanted to write Deborah and tell her, Deborah, that was impressive. I cannot believe that within hours of me writing this to you, that you got this thing fixed. And by the time I got home and I pulled up my email, I was getting ready. I found out I had an email from her, and she wrote to me and she said, "Wanted to let you know, the guys made it out that afternoon." and fixed it, and then went around and tested all the ones in that area, and half of them are not even in Montgomery Township. They're in Bucks Township, whatever one that would be over there. They tested them all, and we found another one that was out too, and we replaced that one. Wasn't that cool? I love telling stories of people doing good things (laughs) than the other kind. If you're kind, you will get people to work for you. You'll get people to help you. This is what these folks did here. They were kind... And they got people to help them. They got people to work for them. They got people to, to, to go above board what they had to do. I looked at some of these examples <clears throat> that I gave you before. Did how they act, did their behavior change their situation? So let's just go over the list again. Abraham had some bad behavior with Pharaoh. Did it change the way Pharaoh wanted to help him? Sure did. When Pharaoh found out that he told a lie and that his wife was not his wife, he was very upset and made him leave the land. Moses was sent to Pharaoh. He didn't want to go. You remember why he didn't want to go? Moses, one of the reasons he didn't want to go was because of his behavior in Egypt and because people were mad at him at how he behaved. And that prevented him from wanting to go. Israel, to go to the promised land... How was their behavior in the wilderness? Did it cause God to want to work for them? Did it cause Moses to want to work for them? Boy, they got people mad at them, didn't they? Joshua went in to take the land. And I'll tell you what, for most of the point he was doing that, his behavior was uh, outstanding. Just one matter in which a little letdown happened with uh, going into AI. But outside of that, his behavior was growing with the, the covenant that they did. Gideon was sent to deliver. He didn't start off with the best behavior, but he eventually got it improved. Saul to be king. He started out with great behavior. That's what caught the eye of God. But then his behavior became corrupted and God's eye turned to another. David to be king. Most of his behavior was beyond great. And God even called him someone after his own heart. The disciples to follow Jesus, well, they weren't perfect, but their behavior got the attention of Jesus. And he stayed with them and he worked with them. Paul to preach the word. 
<clears throat> he had bad behavior that was turned into impressively solid behavior. But can you see in all these examples how their behavior influenced what God could do? Our behavior with the world and our behavior with other believers will greatly affect what God can do on our behalf. And in Ezra chapter 5 and Ezra chapter 6, because the people of Israel didn't get a chip on their shoulders, didn't say, our prophet told us that our God said we need to get busy. They didn't throw any of that at them. They stayed reasonable. They understood they had a job to do. They didn't stay in their way of that job. They didn't try and hide anything. They didn't try and cover anything up. They were cooperative. If we will mimic that behavior, we will find that the eye of God will be on us as well and that God can help us get things done. Because when you look at what was done here, these people sent the letter instead of just shutting it down. They could have just shut it down. They had the power and authority to just shut it down until they found out things, but they didn't shut it down. Darius decided to go above and beyond and found it in a place that he did not search at first and then sent the word over. And then not only that, he said, we will pick up the financing because obviously Cyrus is not here anymore. And so the people heard the word from Haggai and they were ready to resume building the temple and they were going to pay for it. They were getting the wood, going up in the mountains and getting the wood. They were doing it all on their own because they were cooperative, because they were kind, because they acted the way God told them to act. God was able to open up the doors so that the king's taxes paid for what they were called by God to do. So a lot of times God wants us to do some things, but our behavior has shut it down. I read you off a lot of verses. We didn't spend any time on them. You could spend some more time on them on your own. But those are verses that help govern our behavior. We got to make sure that we govern our behavior, that we are kind, that we are always thinking the best of people, that our behavior is on us. It's not on anyone else. It's on us. And if God looks down on us and he can see us having good behavior, he can do something with it. But even the people that God did move through, their behavior often hindered what God could do. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this insight into this, to the people of Israel and the things that they faced and how not only their behavior, their obedience, their attitude, all these things affected what you were able to accomplish for them through the unsaved people that were around them. And we sometimes put a lot of pressure on you to do some things with the unsaved people that are around us. But we have to look at our own selves as well and make sure that our behavior is what God has said it should be. Not what the world says it should be, but what God has said it should be. And that we always stay within the realm of being reasonable, kind, and rational. I thank you that you help us in this endeavor as we look to be a witness of the light to the world because they are in darkness. And even if they act good, they are still going in a path that will lead to a dark ending. And we can be the help that brings them around. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.